Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. sharing together in worship and song. A couple of quick announcements that won't be on the screen, but uh, just to share with you this morning. Uh, first of all, next Saturday at 9 a.m., so the 22nd at 9 a.m., we'll be having a work day. It's kind of a last-minute announcement for us, but we've also got some of our homeschool families will be joining us to do work around the property. We have got things like, uh, if you like chainsaws, we've got tree cutting. It's bringing your own chainsaw, though, and... Um, you're responsible for your own limbs and the limbs of those around you, so no neophytes on the chainsaw who will be playing lightsabers or anything. So we've got some of that. We've got painting. We've got mulch and weeding. Uh, we've got some, some hole fill to do in the parking lot, so lots of exciting things to do if you want to come and join us this coming Saturday, 9 a.m. All the coffee you can drink, and we will work you till you collapse. Um, and then this coming Tuesday, don't forget, it's a primary election, but, uh, you know, local and uh, primary elections are important. They help us to uh, make sure that our voice is heard as the, uh, the rulers of this, this kingdom that God has given to us and how we are responsible to God for the things that are chosen and the people who are put into authority and, and leadership. So I encourage you to go out and vote in the primaries this Tuesday. Uh, and vote according to scripture, not according to party, not according to best looking or neatest sign, but instead according to what scripture tells us is right and true and just. And then finally, um, we did have a, a, a church family member uh, pass away, Nancy Hatfield. You've been praying for her, Amy Bayshore's mother. She passed away this last Thursday. Um, and, you know, it's always bittersweet when a believer goes to Jesus. But we want to be able to support the Bayshore family and Nancy's family uh, overall in the during, or excuse me, for the funeral, which will be this coming Friday. Um, and we would love to be able to provide a meal for them after the funeral and the graveside. So if you're interested in helping out, we're looking to serve somewhere between three and when they get here uh, on Friday afternoon. And you might ask, well, what would we be preparing? And I will say it depends on who volunteers. Um, if we have a, a microwave crowd, it'll be, you just make sure the chicken from Giant Eagle gets here. Um, if, if we've got some folks who are happy to cook from scratch, we will provide the ingredients and just invite you to prepare a meal for about 50 to 75 people is what we're looking for. So if you're interested in helping out, either contact myself or Shelly, and we will be happy to get you hooked up for Friday. And that will be 3 p.m., Friday is when we're looking to serve. If you're interested in attending either the viewing or the funeral, it will be at, I'm, I'm gonna, it's Neil Funeral Home in Washington, um, and so f Thursday from 4 to 8, and then Friday at 1 p.m. is the funeral uh, following, with graveside to follow, so, um, and continue to be in prayer for other families who are, you, you know, looking at the mortality of their loved ones, and honestly, Today's message actually should bring us to a point where we kind of understand that we're all in the same boat. It's just some are further along the path than others of us. So 
Let's continue to lift up our church family members. We are going to continue in the gospel according to Mark. So if you've got your Bible or your Bible app, you can open them up. We're going to be in Mark chapter 13, remembering that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Last week, Don, uh, it was a privilege to have him share. I hope you guys enjoyed. I, I was watching online, and um, you know, it's that control freak thing there where you got to make sure everything's happening as it should, and I did. I watched online, and Keith managed to get the live stream going, and Dawn and the worship team did great, and just what a privilege it is to be able to step away for a week. We actually went down to New Orleans, and uh, you might ask, why New Orleans? And I say, I don't know. It's hot. It's sweaty, except the food's really good, and my wife loves it there, so that's why we went to New Orleans. Um, but, but Don did a great job introducing the first half of chapter 13 for us, and I actually I told him he should have just finished it because it all goes together. But uh, he mentioned it could have been a couple hours worth of service, and you maybe didn't want that. So uh, in Mark chapter 13, though, we are coming to this point of uh, Jesus and his disciples in the last week of his life have been hanging out around the temple a lot. They've been confronting Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes, and Jesus has been teaching about the things that are to come. And um, at the beginning of chapter 13, Jesus and his disciples uh, just to, to rehash a little bit, they walk into the temple and his disciples are taken with the grandeur of this place. You know, last week Don described some of the stones they would have seen. And just to put it into perspective, size-wise, we're talking about school bus-sized stones that, that were used to build the temple uh, there, Herod's temple. And, and his, Jesus and his disciples walk in and his disciples in chapter 13, verse 1 say, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Jesus' disciples were really wrapped up in, in the beauty of this temple. They were wrapped up in how amazing it was. And really what they're saying when they walk in with Jesus is, Jesus, this is as good as it gets, isn't it? I mean, look at this place. God must be here. This must be where you are going to come and establish your kingdom right here in this beautiful temple. And Jesus kind of says, now I, I want you to hold on. I want you to know that this is not the place where it's all going to happen. In fact, Jesus begins to, uh, to, to, to imply and tell them all this is going to be thrown down. All this is going to come to an end. And so his disciples, naturally, their next question is, wait, wait, wait. When is that going to happen? When will this unfold? And so Jesus begins to explain to them, and, and he tells us, um, or warns them, first of all, that he doesn't want anyone to lead them astray, verse 5. So he, he wants them to be resolute. He wants them to be sure. He wants them to not be afraid or concerned. And, and so he begins to give them some, some ideas about how they can know what's going to happen. And um, really what's interesting is, is Jesus is trying to preserve them from being manipulated by fear of the future. Any, anybody afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow or concerned? I, I mean, some of you are like, no, I'm good. And others of you are like, every moment of my existence, I worry about what might happen tomorrow. Um, and, you know, Jesus wants us, he wanted his disciples then and us now, to walk in confidence and not be afraid or manipulated by fear of what is to come. Uh, in the 80s and 90s, lots of books were sold because people were afraid of the end times and of the book of Revelation. And Jesus is telling the disciples, then he tells us today, 
I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to be led astray. I don't want you to be manipulated. So I want you to listen to what I have to say. And he tells them, here's some of the stuff that's going to happen. He says there are going to be false messiahs. There's going to be war, earthquakes, famine, persecution, division. All of these things are going to happen. And this is just review of this first half of chapter 13. Jesus is telling his disciples, I want you to expect bad stuff to happen all throughout this age to come. But guess what? The bad stuff that's going to happen doesn't mean the world is ending. That it's going to continue like that. That things are going to happen. Wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famine, persecution, division, false messiahs. They're going to keep coming. And these are just the birth pains. These are just the beginning of the end. And so we see this repeated in history over and over again. We've seen false messiahs. We've seen bad teachers. We've seen earthquakes. We've seen famines. Wars never seem to end. And a lot of us, every time something bad happens, we go, oh no, is it the end of the world? And Jesus wants us to know, relax. It may be the end of the world, but this is just how it's going to unfold. And I've got you. I want you to understand what's going on. So Jesus continues to tell them of these things. And then he talks about the, the abomination that causes desolation. And, and some of us, we hear those kind of words and we're just like, ooh. And if you've, you've watched Left Behind stuff or you've read the books, you know, it's always a, a statue of some bad guy in the temple in Jerusalem. And, and what's interesting is the abomination of desolation or the abomination that causes desolation is not something that Jesus came up with. It comes out of Daniel. It was fulfilled in um, about 160 B.C. by Antiochus Epiphanes IV. Don mentioned him last week. Um, struggled just like every one of us would with pronouncing his name. Uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. And, and Antiochus Epiphanes actually built an altar to Zeus and sacrificed a pig in the Jewish temple. And for those of you who don't know, idols are forbidden in Judaism, right? Old Testament, Ten Commandments. And pigs are unclean animals. So to sacrifice a pig inside the temple was to utterly defile it, especially to sacrifice a pig in honor of a false god whose idol was erected in the temple. Well, this has already happened though, right? But Jesus says it's going to happen Again, now what's interesting is Jesus actually is setting the stage for what's going to happen in 70 AD and actually 67 and 68 AD. The zealots took over the temple, people who were like hardcore patriots, and they installed their own high priest. And there were murders and other various and assorted things that went on inside the temple. They were abominations that caused desolation. And it came to pass that this happened again. Uh, there was a historian, his name was Josephus, says that Christians of the day, they left Jerusalem. <laughs> they left Jerusalem, sorry. You know, sometimes you just get laughing and you can't help it. Um, they left Jerusalem based on Jesus' warning here. But Revelation and Paul actually tell us this is going to happen a third time. It's already happened twice. It's already been fulfilled twice. But there is a third time yet to come in which there will be a temple dedicated to God and an abomination that causes desolation. And so Jesus is telling the, his disciples then and he's telling us now, be on guard. 
I have told you a couple of little clues, and I really want you to just worry beforehand. No. He says, I've told you everything you need to know. I've told you all things beforehand. I've given you everything that you need to walk confidently in these end times and the persecution and the trials that are going to come. So that's kind of the summary where we land at the end of last week in Mark chapter 13 up to verse 23. So now we're going to go into the second half of Mark 13. I'm sorry, you know, every once in a while you get, it's just funny and you can't let it go. Um, So forgive me if I chuckle a little bit from here and there. Uh, And we're going to start first in verses 24 through 27. So this is Jesus speaking. He's just told his disciples about the destruction of the temple, the abomination that causes desolation. This is going to be fulfilled one more time just before the temple is destroyed in AD 70. And then there is a third time that scripture tells us this will be fulfilled as well. And now Jesus is telling us about another event, the next event to come. And he says this, But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven." So Jesus begins to explain that there will be this destruction of the temple, this abomination that causes desolation, and then there will be another event in which the sun will be darkened, the moon won't give its light, the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And what's interesting is Jesus is not just making things up. This is Old Testament prophecy. We see it in Isaiah chapter 13, verse 10, and Isaiah chapter 34, verse 4, and the little book of Joel chapter 3, verse 10. We see these same pictures painted of sun darkening and moon not giving light and stars falling from the skies. And some of us would wonder, well, this is going to be like, bad, right? Well, interestingly enough, these prophecies relate to the destruction of the Babylonian Empire, the fall of Nebuchadnezzar. They, they relate to things that happened even before Jesus came, these, these symbols of just terrible events. And so as we, as we look at these, we see that, that these pictures of darkened sun and and dark moon and falling stars it's always in the old testament a picture of god coming and shaking things up and and revolutionizing the world and and starting things afresh and so jesus is telling his disciples listen there's going to come a time where god's going to just change everything again where the world will be refined and it will be revolutionized and all of the powers that you know and understand are going to be shaken up and instead what we will see is Jesus himself will be in authority over everything. Jesus himself will be established as the ruler over all and we've gotten a taste of it here in the church age because you see we are the kingdom of God. We are the, the disciples of Jesus, we are the ones over whom he reigns today. And we see if we were to live rightly under his reign, 
we, we get, we'd get a foretaste, we'd get a little bit of a, a teaser for what ultimately things will be under his absolute reign over all of creation. And so we see in, in, in both the church and then in a coming day, there'll be a time where it'll be completely fulfilled in every way. And over the course of history, Jesus' elect followers have been gathered into the church, but there will come a day where everyone who's named Jesus as Lord and Savior, who's followed after him, will be gathered together in a, in a, in a last moment of this age, given renewed bodies is what Scripture tells us, and then, then will be part of the age to come in, in, in a new heaven and a new earth and a place with, with no sickness, no death, no sorrow. All things that sound really good, right? Especially after he promises us everything leading up to this moment will be wars and famines and persecutions and divisions amongst family members and fighting and that th life's going to stink all the way up until the moment when he comes back and then it will stink no more. That'd be like a good metal band, wouldn't it? Uh, stink no more. Um, but, but just look. There's coming a day where Jesus will come to this earth and he will reestablish himself as king over all. And just like he came the first time physically, genuinely, in a powerful way, he will come a second time physically and establish his reign over all of creation. So Jesus continues to, to talk to his disciples, continues to, to lay out Here's what's going to happen. Because remember, he doesn't want them or us to be led astray. He doesn't want us to be afraid. When we look at the future, what Jesus wants for you and I is this ability to simply trust him. To, to know that no matter what we see going on around us, no matter what pains or persecutions we may have to walk through today, there comes a day where everything is made right. There comes a day where everything is made whole in Christ. When the king that we've been worshiping from a distance, it feels like, with, with silly songs and, and it, you know, on soft chairs, all of a sudden becomes the king right in front of us. And we see everything that we've been hoping for come to pass in a real and powerful way. That's what Jesus wants for his disciples here and for us as his disciples today. To be at peace, to be unafraid, to be trusting him for the future. So chapter 13, verses 28 through 31, Jesus goes on to say this. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know the summer is near. Or uh, as soon as uh, kids' soccer starts up and, you know, people are hit and miss in Sunday morning services, you know summer is near. Um, you know, anyway, as soon as softball begins, sometimes you should just stick to the scripture. Um, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also... When you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. 
Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So Jesus begins to teach and tell the disciples, I want you to know that just like when you watch the fig trees and they begin to blossom and bud and you see the fruit on the, on the branches and you know that summer is coming and the good weather is coming, um, or like around here, as soon as you see the daffodils and you see you know, the trees flowering, you know it's only six months of winter left. Um, what has this year been like? Frost warnings? Really? Um, so, but, but Jesus is, is telling his disciples, you, you watch the signs of nature to know what's ahead in the same way that you watch the signs of nature to know what is coming. The things that I'm telling you are so certain that you can watch them and know that the big day is coming. You can watch what's going on. Now, Jesus doesn't want us to be people who are fixated with the news of the day. Like trying to figure out, uh, we made a joke this morning, you know, that, or, well, Steve made the joke this morning that clearly the tree that was set on fire on the Temple Mount this last week was the abomination that causes desolation, and we should just be watching for Jesus to arrive any moment now. And, you know, we, we can get hung up on symbols and signs. And Jesus is telling us, listen, when it happens, you'll know. As things begin to unfold, you'll be able to say, this is what that is. I can see it. I understand it. And he, he, he promises a couple of things here. First of all, he says, as you're watching the signs, you know what's coming next. And he says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now, there has been some discussion, this generation. Who is this generation? Well, very specifically, remember I told you that that abomination that causes desolation, the destruction of the temple, I mean, bad things happening to the Jewish people. Well, it was fulfilled once under Antiochus Epiphanes IV. It was fulfilled a second time, not even a full generation after Jesus spoke these words. It was fulfilled a second time with the destruction of the temple and the defilement of the temple in the, the war between the Jewish people and Rome. And then Jesus is really setting the stage for there will be a third time that as things begin to unfold, you'll be able to see the signs and know that the generation that exists in that third time will not pass away before Jesus returns finally and completely. And so we see that Jesus was warning his followers of what was coming imminently in A.D. 70, but he was also warning us for later times, that there will be a final time in which all of these things will be experienced. And the people who begin to see it unfold will be the very same people who will see its conclusion. And then verse 31, Jesus says this, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So what is Jesus saying about what he's telling us? We can trust it. We can know it to be sure. We can know that even as, as everything else around us fades and crumbles and falls apart, that his words are sure and true and absolute and trustworthy. And so we can with confidence look at what Jesus is telling us and not be deceived and not be afraid and not be led astray by charlatans and false Christs. 
because we can sit back and go, oh, I knew this was going to happen. I mean, confidently, maybe we didn't know the details, right? But we can say, Jesus said there would be war. Oh, guess what? There is war. Jesus told us there would continue to be famines. We've got famines. You know what Jesus doesn't say? Jesus never says here, elect the right people and the world will get perfect. He never says that. He never says, follow the right governmental system and everything will be better. He never says that. He never says, work really hard to make people good and then it'll, it'll be perfect and, and utopia will come. What he tells us so very clearly is that this world, the track that it's on, the way that we as men and women live in this world, in this age, we are on a, a downward path. Or at the very least, we're not going to get better. We will continue just as we are with some people like you and I hopefully being saved out of that nastiness and that brokenness and that persecution. We will choose Jesus even as he's chosen us. And we will be rescued in the moment and rescued forever. But as a whole, mankind is going to continue in this stupid. And you should be both encouraged by that because it's what Jesus predicted and saddened by that and seeking to snatch others from the fire by sharing the good news of Jesus with them. As we look at the, the remainder of Mark chapter 13, verses 32 through 37, here is what Jesus teaches. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the, name, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the, morning, or in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake." So Jesus gives one last bit of teaching for the disciples. After encouraging them, listen, some bad stuff's going to happen. It's going to continue to happen. This world is going to unfold from, from bad to worse. But I'm coming back. I will return. I will be established in complete authority. I will rescue my elect, my chosen, the ones who are mine. There will not be any doubt about them surviving and being saved ultimately and 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 so jesus encourages the disciples that way but then he tells them finally i want you to know the truth i want you to know while you'll be able to look at the signs and go things are happening god is at work stuff's unfolding the day and the hour nobody knows in other words the final moment where History will be consummated, and Jesus will be established as king over all creation, and everything that we long for as, as believers will finally come to pass. Jesus says, nobody knows when that moment will be. Nobody knows when it will finally unfold. And it, it, this is kind of a, um, a descending from, from people who are furthest away from God, the Father, all the way up to the Father himself. Jesus says, no one knows not the, not the angels in heaven, nor the Son, 
but only the Father. Now, this is actually a really beautiful statement in any number of ways. First of all, it helps us when somebody wants to sell us a book or uh, you know, promote a website that says they know, what should we do? Hang on to our money because no one knows. No one knows. Now, that doesn't mean we won't be able to read the signs, the, the seasons, but no one knows. And so if anyone stands up with authority and says, I know the moment, and some of you are old enough, like myself, you remember, uh, you know, 88 Reasons why Jesus, why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988 was a real book. And then when that didn't happen, 89 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1989. And it's like, for real? You just got it wrong last year, and you added one more reason? Why would we buy that? Well, it's because no one knows. I mean, Jesus was coming back in 84, 88, 89, 2000, just a few years ago. Harold Camp, you know, had billboards. People literally sold all that they had to purchase billboards telling our country, people all around the United States, the exact day that Jesus would come back. Do you know what happened? He did not come back that day. Do you know what that pastor said next? Well, he came back spiritually. How convenient. Right? He came back invisibly. Okay, shouldn't something have changed? I mean, I should be able to go to Krispy Kreme now and not gain weight, right? The world is redeemed. No one knows, right? When Jesus says no one, who does he mean? No one. Now, once again, he gave us signs. He gave us indicators. But they're pretty broad, aren't they? And they help us to understand that history is unfolding just as the Father intends. Oh no, another war? It's okay. It's part of God's plan. Oh, famine. How could a loving God... It's, it's part of who mankind is and the consequences of sin. And God is allowing it to unfold as he sees fit. And there will come a day where everything is made new. But no one knows. Not the angels in heaven. They hang out around God the Father. They're part of his crew, right? They should know they don't. Nor the Son. Now this is an interesting thing, because if Jesus is God incarnate, why does he not know? You might ask that. And that's a great question. And let me tell you is it speaks to what Jesus, in his time on earth, gave up to be our Savior. In other words, as the second person of the Trinity, as the Son of God, he gave up rights and privileges that should have been his, including being privy to the day of his return in his second coming. But he gave up that privilege to live a life like you and I, yet without sin, and then die on the cross as the sacrifice for our wrongdoing. To absorb the wrath of God on our behalf, it was necessary for Jesus to put aside many of the rights and privileges of being the Son of God. And he did it all to save you. 
And he did it all to save me. And so when we see that Jesus doesn't know, it's not like, Psh, what kind of Savior could you be if you don't even know when you're coming back? It's because in this moment, Jesus had put away the privilege of knowing so that he could be our Savior. So that should be like so meaningful to us when we read this. It's not that Jesus is weak or he's frail or, or he's ignorant. Instead, we know that Jesus gave up so much to be your Savior and mine. Now, theologians have discussions, which is what theologians do, right? How many angels can dance on the head of a needle, head of a pin, something like that. Needles have holes, pins have heads. Anyway, you can tell how much I sew. Most theologians think that now that Jesus died, was buried, was resurrected, and has ascended, think that he knows again this information. Though that's just speculation, and we don't see it anywhere in Scripture specifically. So what does Jesus say? Because no one knows, what should you do? Worry. Just worry, worry, worry. Be afraid. Oh my goodness. If you see somebody with a name where the letters are six letters, six letters, and six letters, you should probably freak out. No. He says, be on guard. Keep awake. Be aware. Be faithful in your discipleship. Be, a, be on guard. Keep awake. For you don't know when the time will come. You don't know when he will return for you. And so what should you do? Not worry, not be afraid, but instead to just pay attention, to stay alert. And then he tells this little parable. He says it's like this. It's like a man who goes on a journey. He leaves home. He puts his servants in charge. Everyone has their own job, and he tells the doorkeeper to stay awake. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to stay awake. You don't know when the master's coming back. You need to pay attention. He could come in, in uh, the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning. In other words, any time. So stay awake lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. Can you imagine this This household of servants who've all been given specific tasks told by their master all I want for you is to faithfully do what I have asked and to be ready for my return I don't know when I'll get back but it could be any day please keep things in order do your jobs be faithful until I return home only to find that when he returns home they're all drunk in the courtyard they're all off doing their own thing. They've all decided not to be faithful to the master who loves them and cares for them and provides for them and has given them a, an appointed task, but instead they ignore his warning and they are asleep in their quarters, having done none of what he had asked of them. Sadly, this is kind of the picture of, of some Christians, isn't it? That instead of hearing that we've been given a task, all of us unique tasks, different spiritual gifts, 
different places in the body, different jobs to work, and different families to raise. And, and we're supposed to do this faithfully, looking forward to his return. Instead, most, many Christians are just spaced out, worried about things, or have little concern or care for the tasks that the master has given them. Jesus says, listen, I will be coming back, and I want you to stay awake. I want you to keep living faithfully. I want you to keep doing the tasks that I've assigned for you, that I've given you the grace to accomplish, the privilege to bear my name and, and to share my presence with the world. I want you to stay awake and to stay faithful. When we look at the end times, when we look at, at the destruction of the temple and Jesus' return, so often we get hung up in the things that don't matter and we completely ignore the one thing that does. Be faithful to your Savior every day in anticipation that He could return at any moment. How do you want Him to find you? Asleep in the recliner with Netflix asking you if you're still watching? Or actually doing the work of the ministry He's called you to? And it's a little bit of an aside. We're, we're, we're really looking toward the future of our church and hoping to establish Sunday school in the next few months. And it'll have a different name because we want to be hip. But we're, we're going to need teachers. And we're going to need volunteers to, 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 to do classes and wipe rear ends and snotty noses. And, and that's just for the adult class. Right? And, and, and just, you know, some of you are called to tasks and you need to be doing them. You need to be stepping out. You need to be being faithful. You need to wake up so that when your Savior returns, He will find you doing the task you were made for. Faithful and awake. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation is the scariest book in the New Testament, isn't it? Oh, dragons and prostitutes and, I mean, it's just beasts and false prophets and dead people who come back to life. Well, that's maybe not so freaky, but still, it's a scary book for many of us. It's all about the end times and nobody understands it. Well, that's not what it's for. It's not meant to be this scary book at the end. And like Jesus, Jesus tells his disciples, the whole intent of me telling you what's coming is I don't want you deceived. I don't want you afraid. I want you to be awake, living in faithful confidence that I'm coming back. And Revelation, really, that's what the whole book of Revelation is. In fact, Revelation 1.3 says this, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Now the word blessed, it can be translated happy. That's kind of a trite translation. One that, you know, we, we, we don't want to get a picture of happy and sunflowers and dancing around and happy like that. I like the word content fulfilled, at peace, 
These are all similar mindsets to this word in the original Greek that we translate blessed oftentimes. So blessed or happy or content or fulfilled or completely equipped for life. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. How many of us actively read aloud the the promises of the future? The plans of what is to come. Some of it is bleak. Some of it is, is hard to understand. But Jesus said there would be some darkness and some bleakness. And so much of it, though, is earth-shattering. It's world-changing. It's power-shaking. And it's hopeful because in the end, Jesus is king over all. The one thing we've been fighting for in our own life and in the life of the people we're witnessing and sharing with, witnessing to and sharing with, is to to see to it that Jesus is king over our own heart, over the hearts of those we love. And yet the day will come when Jesus, by nature, by force, if necessary, will be king over all. And we should be blessed by this. As we read it aloud, as we hear the words of prophecy, as we hear Jesus talking about this time that nobody knows about where he will return. Nobody knows the moment, nobody knows the day, but he's coming back. And we should hear that and we should go, yeah, I look forward to it just as much as I look forward to Fridays or maybe even a little bit more. The return of Jesus. And then here in the beginning of Revelation, it says something else. It says, blessed are those who keep what is written in it. And you might go, wait a minute. How am I supposed to keep a story about a dragon and a, and a, and a woman and 12 stars? And I mean, how am I supposed to? Get... Listen, the stories, the, the symbols, the vision, it's about faithful believers following after Jesus Christ with all that they are in passion and complete commitment, knowing that this crazy dark time will be ahead of them, but that Jesus will be victorious in the end. How do we keep what's written in these old time, or excuse me, end times prophecies? Well, we keep what's written by being resolute, by being faithful, by looking forward to the day, by knowing that we have a hope that is sure, that when, when, we, when we have trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and we're part of the elect, we're part of the chosen, that we will one day be gathered together with him. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is happening. This will come to pass. How do we keep what's written there? We we rejoice in it. We celebrate in it. We, we talk about how Jesus is coming back. We talk about how this isn't the end of things. We talk about we vote with the Bible in mind, but we live with the kingdom of God in heart. You, you know, we, we, we find all that we are in what is to come, not in what is and is broken today. That's how we keep what is written. So as we wrap up this morning, just some, some thoughts, thrown, thrown a lot of ideas at you, but I, I want you to, to, to walk away with some, some things that it seems that Jesus teaches very clearly here, and that Revelation would teach us as well. Everyone should be prepared for difficult times. 
when hard times come, it does not mean that God does not love you or He has lost control. You can lose everything and God is still passionate about you. Anybody heard of Job? Lost his kids, lost his home, lost all of his riches. The only thing he didn't lose was a wife who told him to curse God and die. (laughs) Wow, that's great, God. Thanks for leaving me that. Same could be true for a husband who is leading you astray, ladies, right? It's not a gender thing. It's a, the only thing that was left was a terrible spouse who encouraged him to give up. And yet God still loved him. And God still walked with him. And God ultimately restored him. The truth is, though, is that all of us need to be prepared for difficult times. Just because hard times come doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It means you live in this world. What kinds of things did Jesus say would come? War and famine and persecution and rumors of wars and false prophets and false messiahs. And you might go, well, as long as it's all over there, but do you realize that there are Christians in the midst of all of those things even today? Believers who are suffering things on that list why would we be surprised if it happens to us? Be prepared for difficult times. I'm not talking about six months of food in your basement, though that might be a good idea. I'm talking about mentally, spiritually. Be prepared for the fact that you will hurt potentially, but it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you or that his plan has been knocked off path. Remember that Jesus can return at any moment as we watch these signs unfold. In fact, what we see over and over again, Jesus tells us, are the birth pains. The world has been experiencing the birth pains of Jesus' return since the day that Jesus left. We do expect it to escalate as his return gets closer, and maybe it is today. Maybe it is. Well, it wasn't then, but it's soon. And because of these two things, difficult times and the fact that Jesus can return at any moment, stay awake, brothers and sisters. Don't get lulled to sleep by the comforts of our culture. Don't be led astray by the lies of false teachers whose teaching sounds really good and makes you feel special, but is a lie from the pit of hell. Stay awake. And then every time you get the opportunity, don't avoid the end times stuff, but instead read it and listen to it and then keep the truth of it. Bad times will come. You will be rescued when you've trusted on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And Jesus will reign as king forever and ever when that day comes. Probably the biggest thing to mention as we do wrap up is if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never turned your life over to him, whether you're watching online or you're here now, you need to know that you, apart from Jesus, should be afraid of the end times.
you should be afraid of the wrath of God. You should be afraid of your rebellion and what it's earned for you. Because Scripture tells us so clearly that God loved us when He shaped us and created us, but He made us to be responsible to Him. He made us to be in submission to Him because He deserves it. He's this, this, kind of like this God. In fact, the only God. But like Adam and Eve, all of us have chosen our own way and rebelled against God. We've chosen to ignore His words. We've chosen to ignore His love at some point or another in our life. And the consequences of such rebellion is the wrath of God and eternal death, which we call hell or the lake of fire. And every person on their own deserves that. But God loved us so much that he sent Jesus, who, remember, gave up all of the rights and privileges of heaven to be like us in the flesh and yet unlike us in that he was sinless and perfect. The Son of God who died on the cross to absorb the wrath of God, to pay the price for your sins. He was buried and then resurrected on the third day to prove that he is who he says he is. He can bring forgiveness when you trust on him. And he deserves to be king of your life. And so all that we're left with today is a choice. Will we trust on Jesus as our Lord and Savior? And so find life and hope. And look at the end times and go, no big deal. Look at wars and famine and look at trouble and persecution and go, it's okay, God's got me. Or will we reject Jesus as our Lord and Savior? And in so doing, know that all that's promised to us is wrath. And all that's promised to us is judgment if we have rejected Jesus. And so this morning, all these other truths are important, but none is more important than if you've never done so, today is the day for you to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you need to talk to someone, I'll be available up here, or you can grab anybody in the congregation and start talking. Because I trust each and every one of you who I know to be believers to be able to share the gospel and to pray with someone to bring them to a point where they can confidently look at the end times and go, now I'm part of the good stuff. And I don't have to be afraid of the wrath and the destruction that is to come. So, as the worship team comes up and, and closes, us out, closes us out for one more, or with one more song, I just want to encourage you, if you need to talk to somebody about salvation, make it today. For the rest of you, understand these truths. You need to be prepared for difficult times spiritually. How do you prepare for difficult times? You spend time with Jesus. You spend time with your church family. You get together in small groups. You, you are faithful to the, the gifting he's put in your life, realizing he can return at any moment, so you are going to stay awake and faithful, and you are going to read and listen to and keep the words of his prophecy to the best of your abilities. Let's pray, and then we'll close together in song. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for time together. We thank you that you have loved us so much that first of all, you've given us word through your son about what the future will look like. And in him, we know that there is hope. In him, we know that there is truth, that his words are sure. 
In him we know that the future will unfold as he's told us and that the day will come when he will come and and reign forever and we will be gathered from whatever state we're in, whatever place, whatever corner of this world or even death will be gathered up into his presence, renewed and restored in a perfect kingdom. And we are so looking forward to that. Until that day comes, help us to be prepared for whatever arrives on our doorstep. And we look forward to the day of Jesus' return. We cry out with with the Apostle John as he declares at the end of Revelation, even so, Lord, come quickly. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this time, and we pray that you would continue to work in our hearts and minds, Holy Spirit. Convict us of where we are being unfaithful or asleep as servants, and empower us to be awake and alive and faithful. In the name of Jesus, we pray this morning. I can see the future 
You're the God of seasons, and I'm just in the winter. Final of harvest is that it's worth my patience. And if you're not done working, God, I'm not done waiting. You can see my promise, even in the winter. You're the God of greatness, even in the winter. Final seasons is that you take your time. You could save us in a second. for all of us. Jesus is king of each and every one of those seasons, and one day all of this will be redeemed and restored to where he has always longed for it to be. Will you be part of that? Will you be found alert and awake when he arrives? Or will you be found wanting and asleep? May that not be the case for any of us, but may we be awake and alive in him. God bless you guys. Look forward to seeing you throughout the week. Tomorrow night, we've got our adult Bible study. Wednesday night, ladies. Thursday night, students. Saturday morning, of course, uh, 9 o'clock, the work day, if you want to join us. And then uh, next Sunday, Sunday, uh, adult Sunday school and our services and stuff. If you are interested in helping us provide a meal for um, Amy's family uh, after the funeral service on Friday, you can, serving the meal at about 3 o'clock, just let Shelly or I know. Love you all. God bless and have a great day.